Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this show, Eric Fawcett and I break down Florida's season opening win over Elon, 74-61. We'll also discuss and preview the Gators' big game Sunday against number 20 Florida State. The Gators try to snap a long losing streak and run a futility under Mike White. Uh, and, of course, one game under Billy Donovan against the Knolls. So strap in, enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, it's finally here. College Hoops is underway. We had a epic uh, Champions Classic the other night. Uh, people got to watch some of that. Really fantastic basketball. And the Gators are underway as well with a 74-61 win over Elon. How are you enjoying the, the season so far? <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, like you said, there's some great games in the Champions Classic. The Gators kind of took care of business in a way that, you know, is always going to have some people upset. But generally speaking, you know, the Gators jumped out to a lead and held that lead the whole game. So uh, whether it's Gators, whether it's college basketball on the whole, it's a good start. And uh, man, do uh, do we ever love this game? Yeah, no, it's good to have it back. I think, you know, you've already kind of teased it. Um 20 really good minutes from Florida and 20 minutes where they kind of went through the motions. Um, pretty much everybody that talked to the media after Colin Castleton, uh, Myron Jones, Mike White, all expressed disappointment in the final 20 minutes in different ways. Uh, Myron Jones said, you know, we're really too old to be that lackadaisical, which I think is a good point. Uh, Colin Castleton said, if we do that for 20 minutes on Sunday, we're going to get blown out, <laughs> which I'm sure was a refreshing thing for Florida fans to hear that kind of honesty. And then Mike White just said, you know, it was disappointing. Uh, your take on, let's start with the second 20, your take on building the big lead and then not really finishing strong. I, I, I really don't care. Like, I, I know. I'm sorry. I know this is kind of like coach speak. It's like hard working player speak to be like, oh, we're not satisfied because we let our foot off the gas. But but here's the fact of the matter. Elon's a pretty good team. They had five really good starters and those guys were playing down the stretch and down the stretch, the Gators were not playing with starters or even guys that are probably like, like they're playing guys. We're probably not going to see Sunday and guys that I'm guessing by the time we get to the midway point of the SEC season are going to be catching more DNPs than playing a regular spot in their rotation. So like, I don't know, like just that whole notion of it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's all kind of cliches to me of being like, Oh, you know, like we didn't close well, we didn't finish well, whatever. It's like, okay, well, you know, you had lineups that really aren't going to be playing midway through the season. I bet against Elon starters. And I think it honestly, honestly almost shows a lack of respect for, for Elon to suggest that you jump out to a 20 point lead and you should extend that to a 40 point lead. It's like, no, if you play your eight to 13 guys on the bench against Elon starters, no, you're not going to um, extend your lead and you certainly aren't going to maintain it. So uh, honestly, I'm not super concerned. Um, it just kind of confirms to me that, yeah, if you play obscure lineups with guys at the end of your bench against good players from a CAA team, like, yeah, you're, you're going to give up some points. So 
I, I yeah, that that's kind of my take to uh, to letting the 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 lead slide there. I pretty much agree with you. Um, let me add that the lead was twenty five with seven and a half minutes to go. So even in that scenario, Florida had extended the lead by two points for twelve and a half minutes, um, and then they really did clear out the bench. Okay, so Elon goes on a 12-point run the last seven and a half minutes of the game. Uh, our guy, Niles Lane, missed some free throws in there. Uh, I think Florida missed a couple of bunnies. There was a duck in that, like, I don't know, a Jason Jatobo had rattled out. Um, I mean, you know, it, not great, but like you said, talking about guys that are probably – at best, the eighth man on this roster is probably the best player that you have out there at certain times. And, um, you know, Flan Fleming was limited. He didn't play in that stretch. Uh, so, you know, that was the seventh guy uh, off the bench for Florida, which I don't know if he will be all season. But, yeah, it didn't really concern me that much, um, Eric. And I, it's a good point about Elon, too, that, you know, they had won, what, seven of their last eight last year when they got somewhat healthy, and they were healthier now than they ever were last season. Uh, so, yeah, and playing their starters and, you know, could contend in the Colonial, I think. Yeah, that's just the one thing that I feel kind of enters the equation sometimes when it comes to these. The, and, and again, I don't. I don't think they they mean it this way, but yeah, just when it, whenever it's a high major team playing a bye game and their twenty five point lead with you know whatever fourteen minutes left doesn't turn into a forty point lead, then it's suddenly like oh you know we should have done better and whatever, and it's it's like you know if you kept your starters in, then yeah you probably should have won by forty, but if you play your bench again against a, a team with some some good players, it's it just I, I don't know to me it's almost disrespectful, and I know they don't mean it to be, but it's it's. The implication is our eight to thirteen should have hammered their starters, and that's either disrespectful or just like a little bit naive. And uh, so, so again, I know that it's whatever. It's great to see that uh, the Gators have some some competitors that that want to always want to do better. Um, but I, I would just say that I, I shouldn't say I didn't care in the sense that there's there's nothing bad to take away from from those minutes or whatever. Um, but uh, they're uh, it, just on the on the whole having a lead that. Uh, kind of got cut down because of who was on the floor. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't move the needle for me in, in any direction. So yeah, there are some things like, like, again, one of the kind of concerns with the team, like you mentioned some bunnies like missed at the rim. It's like, yeah, even like, you know, Brandon McKissick had some, some good attempts where he got to the rim and yeah, he left it short because yeah, he's not super long and or athletic. And that was kind of the case with some other, some other guys as well. And yes, that makes you a little bit concerned for Sunday when they're going to see some more length. Um, but you know, it's also like they they miss some wide open shots. It's like, well, we we do think they're a pretty good shooting team. We think they're going to be, and it was their first game of the season. So so, yeah. If it's if if people are looking for some concern take because of what was essentially garbage time, I mean, the Gators were treating it like garbage time with the lineups they put out there. Uh, no, I just I'm not going to have any big sweeping takeaways. Yeah, I mean, Florida won comfortably. I think you mentioned it. <clears throat> they took the lead. They never lost the lead. There were no lead changes in the game. Um, <laughs> you'll take that any night. 
And on a night when 10 teams in the NCAA, I think John Rothstein tweeted 10 teams lost by games <laughs> on opening night uh, and two ranked teams very nearly lost by games. Um, our guys, Ed Key, built out Ohio State. And uh, who else almost lost? Houston, I think. I think Houston needed a, a little floater in the lane to win. Most high percentage game-winning shot in college <laughs> basketball. <laughs> um, let's talk about the first half. Pretty dominant. Uh, pretty impressive. Loved the ball movement from Florida. Um, and I kind of want to start there. Not just ball movement, but also a lot of the off-ball movement and stuff that they did offensively was different. And um, if y'all don't – I mean, if you're listening to us, you follow Eric Fawcett on Twitter, but – just an epic Twitter thread on some of that. So I kind of want to get into that a little bit. I mean, you saw a lot of changes on offense and and for the better, at least on night one, Eric. Yeah, there were some, some really big changes. I know there's a lot of people that are maybe not fans of Mike White and their uh, some of their criticisms will, will range from the, you know, the utmost ridiculous. Uh, he does not run an offense, which is just, you know, stupidity um or there is you know he doesn't change his offense or his offense isn't very good or um something along those lines and you know i will say i do think that that mike white kind of has stuck to some offenses for for too long that i don't think worked and didn't fit the personnel um but, but on you know entering the season against elon we saw definitely the the biggest offensive change from season to season uh that we've seen in the mike white era and i think that was something that's obviously definitely notable like if you're looking from for a takeaway from a game against elon it's how are they going to play offense so uh right away they they go into the five outlook something that's different than what they've done the last couple of years and, and from there they ran a lot of the stuff that again this kind of five outlook very popular in the nba these days and Gators really ran stuff kind of that's just like right out of the NBA playbook that, that you see um, every single night in the NBA. So uh, you saw them kind of throw it to Colin Castleton up at the top and and all four players other than him and, are you know, everyone's outside the, the three-point line. So there was opportunities where Colin Castleton just straight up had some drives against um, some smaller players, which um, he had a couple good moments. He also had two really bad turnovers trying to, trying to dribble guys down and um, so I don't know exactly how much we want to see that from, from Castleton right now, but you kind of see that thrown into Castleton and then have stuff happen away from the ball, whether it's kind of split cuts where, where two players converge and uh, there's a screen where a player can curl around it or he can fade off it or the guy setting the screen can uh, can slip the screen and go towards the hoop. Um, or you saw some actions where it was pinned down for the guy off the ball who then got a dribble handoff from Colin Castleton. And um like, like Neil kind of mentioned before, I, I think maybe one of the bigger things, even more than some of the kind of set movements and some of the reads, is that the ball movement was a lot better. And and part of it is the fact that I think that there are a lot of unselfish players on the Gators. Like the one that really sticks out to me was after Myron Jones hit a bunch of threes in a row, he had a half decent look at a three, uh, and then he made an extra pass to find an even more open shooter. And the, kind of the situation for, for Brandon McKissick, who had some chances at open threes and, and made the extra pass. So I do think some guys are extra unselfish. I think this is a more unselfish, more talented passing team than the Gators have had the last couple of years. But I'll also say that the five out alignment is just far more conducive to ball movement. 
I don't remember the game where I kind of ranted about this last year. Um, but I remember it was one of the one of the games where uh, the broadcast crew, whoever it was, they kept saying, oh, you know, Florida really wants to move the ball, but they're just not able to do it tonight. And my kind of remark to that was, you know, do they, do they really want to move the ball? Because their offense was never really predicated on ball movement. It wasn't the way that they spaced the floor. They were super pick and roll reliant, which isn't the kind of offense that you're going to get the ball zipping around the perimeter. So their offense just really wasn't set up for ball movement to be a strength. But now with this five out offense, uh, with five guys around the perimeter, there's a lot of passes to be made. You can move the ball side to side really quick by making these uh, extra passes because they're because with everyone beyond the three point line, it's all short passes. So you can get the ball moving around the perimeter really quickly. So um, whether it was yeah, whether it was some of the set reads or whether it's the fact that they're able to use that unselfishness because the floor is spaced properly, it was uh, a definitely definitely a different offense than anything we've seen in the Mike White era, and I think it's a good one. Yeah, it was actually like some little nuanced changes too that I missed one. So I think I tweeted something about uh, how they got a second layup off a rub screen. And when I looked back at the video that you have the thread you posted, and I was like, oh, it wasn't a rub screen on the second on the McKissick layup. It was actually a, a little bit different than that because they had two, both the bigs up, up high. And screened at the top, and he just kind of banana curled around uh, Castleton, which is a beautiful little play. But they had a, a very similar play to that. I think it was to Daruji. Um, it was either, I think it was Daruji. Um, and we got fouled. Screen. Yeah. Hmm. And so those were totally different plays, um, but very similar off ball movements based on reading what happens when the defense reacts to the screener. The screener. Yeah, and I, I think that for an offense like that, like I, I again, I guess if you're going to look at Florida giving up a little bit of their lead in the second half, part of it is like, yeah, this offense is a lot of you've got to cut with conviction. You've got to really sell the nuance of, oh, I'm going to sell that this is going to be a pin down, but I'm actually going to fade on the opposite side. Like there is some of that kind of subtlety and nuance that like, yeah, when you're up by 25 again, a buy game in the eight minutes left in the second half. It's like, yeah, you might not be doing that with as much conviction. So I think that that'll be a, you know, a little bit of like, while this, while this is a change definitely in the way that the floor is spaced and some of the actions, there still is a little bit of that dribble drive ideology that Mike White really likes where it still is players being driven to, to make reads based on what they see. And again, I do think there's going to be times at the end of games in close basketball games, when you're trying to manipulate the clock that you don't really want to have guys playing, five out motion and flowing through and, and making reads. And if it's not there, look to the second side. Like, like, again, when you're, when you're playing the clock, when you're playing against a team that's been playing that style of offense for 38 minutes, you, you might need some more set plays. Like this isn't something that's like super set reliant yet. I mean, we'll see again. These are just all clips from a game against Elon where only, you know, 28 minutes really mattered, I guess. Yeah. And so, so we'll see what else is, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the playbook, but uh, there was already a lot there. I mean, yeah, I was able to, to tweet out, you know, six or seven plays just based off the first game of the season. So uh, definitely. Yeah. If you've got your, you know, friends or 
whatever that are saying like, Oh, Mike white doesn't run offense or Mike white doesn't change what he does offensively or whatever. Like this is a, this would be a perfect opportunity to show them that, yeah, he's made a, he's made a major change. Again, we'll see exactly what the results are, but I will say just kind of like anecdotally based on who's having success in, in modern basketball. Um, it seems that use this kind of style of offense. So there's plenty of things that can be done out of it. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see what, uh, what the Gators kind of get out of it moving forward. So uh, I have a, those of you that listened to the pod last year um, know that, you know, I have a friend on the coaching staff at Arizona state now was on the coaching staff at Kentucky and, um, you know, just given up trying to hide, protect the source at that point. But, <laughs> but I guess uh, um, one thing he said about Florida defending Florida was, you know, I read him some scouts take from, one of these like blue room reports about Florida being a pretty easy scout. And he goes, he said, well, that's yes. And no was his answer. He said, on the one hand, like they have beautiful sets. Um, he says, on the other hand, like when they were integrating these dribble drive concepts with Princeton sets, it becomes pretty easy to kind of figure out what they might be doing by how they're spacing the floor and by like what the first action is. Um, and he said, so when you watch that on film, uh, you know, you could actually pick up on, oh, this might be this play because that happened. And I thought that was super interesting because what, um, to some extent, all ball screen offense, uh, even when you set your first ball screen, is based on, now Eric might disagree with this a little bit, but a lot of it is. I don't want to say all, that's a bad word. Most ball screen offense is predicated on how you react to what the defense does to the screen. Okay. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, but the best teams, you watch the NBA, they, they'll have like three different con. The best teams have like three or four different concepts that they might do based on one reaction to a ball screen. Um, actually FSU Sunday does this a little bit, they actually will scream really high sometimes, Eric, in order to space the floor. And then the reaction to that really high screen kind of dictates what happens next. This is pretty normal in, in basketball. Um, and I think what makes Florida maybe a little more diverse now is Eric points out on this thread, there's seven or eight plays, but they're all coming from these five out spacing concepts. So it's not as easy to figure out what's happening immediately. Um, as it might have been when Florida was going back and forth between two drastically different styles of offense. Yeah, there was definitely like a time like two seasons ago with with Kerry Blackshear that they ran the same play where it was kind of this box alignment that you see, you know, quite often from a lot of teams with, you know, four players in a square around, around the key, but they only had one play out of it. So you could just tell like opposing coaches were like the moment they see that they, they know what's coming because like you, like Neil mentioned, it's just totally different than their normal kind of alignment. And so, so there's moments like that. And um, it, it, it's one of those things where again, like someone, I, well, I mean, for example, I watched it in real time and kind of had mo things that I saw and I was like, Oh, I'm going to clip this in the next couple of days and put it on Twitter. So it's one of those things where I think it's easy to scout in the sense that, you know all the possibilities, but it's hard to kind of coach against it because 
Like if, like again, if someone were to look at that Elon tape, if you're Florida State looking at Elon tape, and you say, okay, so you know they're going to throw it into Castleton, and then okay, there's either going to be a pin down or a there's either or yeah, you know there's either going to be a fade or a wide pin down, and then another player is going to come and set a back screen, which the player could curl off of, or he could fade to the corner off of it. And, you know, oh, and the initial passer, he's either going to, you know, run a pinch post and, and rub off the post, or he's going to actually turn and receive a dribble handoff. And it's just like, it's it's easy because you know all the options are there. But if you were to try to communicate to it, communicate it to a player, there's just so much there that it's so again, it's like, you know, easy, easy, quote unquote, to scout, but like hard to hard to coach against. And that that's the thing about kind of these more concept based offenses is like yeah it's like i don't think mike white's going to try to outsmart anyone by playing this style of, of offense like and it's hard to outsmart anyone in the sec or in any kind of conference in college basketball especially by the, later in the season when everyone's got so much film on you so that's one thing that's nice is if you were a team that ran a bunch of sets for shooters or ran design cuts or anything like that uh once teams kind of scout it they can blow it up when they see it coming teams can know exactly what florida's running like, like Florida State probably will know exactly what the Gators are going to run on Sunday, but they still could have trouble guarding it because there's still just so many options out of the, out of the same kind of actions. So uh, I think that's really what, what Mike White is, you know, kind of banking on and hoping that uh, hoping that'll work moving forward. Yeah, and I, I'm not comparing Mike White and what Florida did against Elon to the Houston Rockets, but like the James Harden Rockets probably weren't like terribly difficult to scout, right? It's just the way that they ran their ball screen offense, you know, there's so many different options. The way that Harden or whoever is handling the ball is going to react to the screen uh, that, you know, even at that high level, professional players are like, well, you know, they can get fooled. They don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Um, and so I think that, in a perfect world, this is probably what Mike had hoped to have happen. But boy, it's nice to have a veteran team. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the Houston Rockets, one thing that's uh, pretty interesting about the Elon game is, you know that you know people who are longtime listeners uh, will know that we often look at how much pick and roll Florida has has played. A couple of years ago, it was kind of thirty percent of their possessions, which is around the the national average. And then yesterday, or yesterday, last year they were at uh, like thirty seven percent. Uh, so they're one of the most pick and roll reliant teams um, in the country with uh, Trey Mann running most of them. Um, and against Elon, 11.6% of their possessions um, came from pick and roll, which is, uh, which is not a lot. Uh, so that's, that was, again, we'll see what happens in, in closer games when it comes to like tight end of game possessions. I bet you're going to see more ball screens, but um, you know, for Florida to only run 11.6% of their possessions as, as, as ball screens, it's like, clearly it's not, um, something they went in being like, Hey, we're going to ball screen him to death. It's like, it's part of the offense, obviously, but if Elon was any indication, it's, it's not a huge part of the offense. So that'll be something that'll be interesting to, to watch for. Um, and then I, I guess the other thing kind of related to their, their play type that I want to get your thoughts on Neil. Um, so 16.3% of their possessions came off of post-ups. Um, what is your, what is your kind of reaction to that number and what you saw from the Gators playing through Castleton in the post? I mean, it's pretty high, um, you know, and I, I was a little surprised at, at how much uh, that was occurring. Um, 
especially because they would start with five out and then slip Castleton down and go into the post. And uh, I will say, starting starting with that, let's start there. Actually, I prefer that to having Colin just go down there and try to body somebody. Like, and the reason I prefer it is I think it allows for off ball movement that defense has to react to. And when Castleton slips down, I think helps sort of space the floor better um, than some of these entry passes. Guys just trying to body somebody old school, high, low basketball, Michigan state style. Uh, You know, that I thought Florida spacing was quite good. Um, I hope it's that good on Sunday. Hope it wasn't just about opponent. Um, So starting at that point, Eric, I'll say I was surprised, but the way that they did it was a little encouraging. Yeah, that's a, that's fair. And I, I still think like, again, there was a couple of turnovers that were on Castleton from the post that, you know, he's the one who threw it away to an opponent, but uh, yeah, there was a whole lot of standing around after those, those entry passes. And that's one thing where it's just like, man, we saw the Gators get beat on that all year last year. And yep. uh, I just uh, hoping to see some developments in, in that end. That's something where, like again with like with Al Pinkins, kind of the the big man coach. This is like part of big man coaching to me. Is is not just what are you doing in the gym to help work out your guys. This is like talking to your head coach and saying like, hey, like how can we make these these post sets as effective as possible? I think that there's problems for this reason. We're spacing the floor, and it's causing this problem. Like they, like again, there was this one turnover that I'm sure people are going to remember the loudest. Where yeah, he tried to just one hand baseball pass it from one side from the right block where he was posting up to the left wing. And it went right into the hands of an Elon defender and it went the other way. And, you know, on the broadcast, it's like, Oh, what an awful turnover by Castleton, like just bad decision, whatever. And it's like, well, Florida spaced the floor in a way that, and they knew that Elon was doubling. So they knew where that double team was going to come from and they didn't move their feet whatsoever. They didn't move a single player. That means that they were aware that their only option to get out of that, mess was to try to hit that opposite player and it obviously wasn't there so to me that's you know people are looking at castleton oh bad decision castleton but it's really like that's a bad set design and that's just what we saw last year so a little bit concerning there so if florida is going to be a team that i don't think they're going to post up 16 percent of their total possessions but i do think it's going to be a good amount so uh i just i really hope we see some some development there where it's not go to work one-on-one you're on your own call and we're all standing here and let you let you do your thing uh that's just something that's not going to work like we all know the the quality of bigs that the gators are going to see this year in the non-conference and the sec schedule uh i don't think that castleton is a dominant enough post player to just that you can just say like here's the ball eight feet from the hoop go to work uh they're going to need to do some things a little bit more creatively i think yeah uh i agree with that like i did think that the spacing off the initial action was much better um but I think Eric kind of builds on that point and and says something that's totally true, which is that it really doesn't matter how great the spacing is if you stop moving once the ball enters the post. Defenses can react, and they're going to get out on a guy. Um, and I also did tweet something. I picked on my tweets earlier. So one tweet I felt confident about was I thought he was much better when he was doubled at, at being decisive. Um, Eric and – you know, I saw a couple of people kind of respond and said, oh, he still had a turnover or two out of that. And I don't think that those were on Colin. Like, I think that was, again, people got stationary and then the double came and still nobody reacted. 
like that's not Colin's fault, but I loved that when, when there was movement, he was real decisive with the basketball in a way that I didn't see last year. Um, and I know Eric and I have kind of gone back and forth on that a little bit, but I thought that was um, much better from Colin. So a pretty encouraging game from Colin Castleton, considering, you know, uh, the secret scrimmage, he was just, you know, a little bit above average. Uh, certainly very competitive on the glass, struggled offensively, um, and then uh, didn't play particularly well in the Embry-Riddle game. Yeah, I do think he was pretty good. I think that obviously the fact that he was able to block so many shots was uh, was something that uh, kind of showed that it wasn't like an anomaly that he was able to block so many shots last season. I, I'm going to be honest, you know, there was a point in the first half where I think he had 17 points already where I'm like, well, with our over under selections in our previous podcast, uh, Neil might win this one on game one of the season because Castleton might, you know, go for 30. And I, I said something much lower for, for my <laughs> highest single game point total for a Gator. So, uh, but again, I kind of like to that. The one thing I really feared was him hunting jump shots and yeah. that certainly wasn't the case. Like I know he ended up taking like one long two, which I just didn't love because, Hey, if you're going to take that shot in rhythm, just you got to get out to the three. Um, but at the same time, there was opportunities where he probably could have, could have pulled this particularly in the like fashion that we don't love of like ball gets swung to him at the top of the key. And he's like, yeah. looks around, realizes that no one's on him and then kind of checks the win. And then slowly, like he had plenty of opportunities to do that and he didn't. So I thought that he, I thought he played a, just a pretty mature game and didn't try to force anything. Didn't try to like, Hey, let's see if I can score 40 on, on Elon. So yeah, just mature basketball all around for, for Colin Castleton. Yeah. I thought a lot of Gators did that. Um, not the greatest Tyree Appleby night in that respect. Uh, hopefully a little better Sunday kind of the opposite of Castleton, like really good at that, at being mature in the Embry-Riddle game, less good on opening night against Elon. Try to make the spectacular play on a couple occasions when there were actually simple play options that, that would have been just fine. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Florida State, we'll get into them in a second, but obviously one thing that, that the Seminoles have done for, I don't know, close to a dang decade now is – they just kill you if you turn the ball over. I mean, you just cannot force things against FSU because they're just too athletic and too fast and too good in transition. And that's what happened. I mean, they pin the Quakers from the Ivy League were back and forth with them haymaker for haymaker for about 17 minutes and then 16. And then in the last four minutes of the first half, like, you just can't turn the ball over 16 times in a half against FSU. And if Florida is going to turn the ball over even 15 times, it could be a problem on Sunday. We'll get to that in a second. I wanted to talk about defense, Eric, a little bit, because I know we were texting back and forth about a small wrinkle in Florida's ball screen defense, I guess. Like they hedged a little lower, <laughs> still hedging the hell out of ball screens. And I know, uh, you know, neither of us are, are huge fans of that, but your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love that. I mean, to see the changes offensively, I guess there's only so many things they can change kind of in, in one off season. So, <laughs> so that's, that, that's fair, I guess. But uh, yeah, you're just kind of to, to, of course, it's a little bit tough to, to just break down over and 
audio medium here, but the thing about playing this, this flat hedge kind of ball screen defense is just, you're, you're always involving a third defender. And when you involve a third defender, then you're obviously, you're going to open yourself up to catch and shoot attempts. And that's what kind of kills you. Like, like I think a lot of times when people look at pick and rolls, they think about, Oh, they're set so that the guy with the ball in his hands can like get to the hoop or get free for a shot. And then the second option is, you know, the guy who sets the screen, you know, rolling to the hoop or, or popping for an open shot. Like, I think that people really look about, think about pick and rolls and they think about the pick and roll ball handler and the guy who set the screen. The fact of the matter is when you look at the numbers, when you look at actually how teams are kind of functionally playing out of pick and roll, they're playing out of pick and roll to try to get catch and shoot jump shots because that's what really kills teams in modern basketball. And those are some of the most, you know, high efficient shots in, in basketball is when you get into the paint and you kick out to an open shooter, those inside out threes, that's what kills you. And that's what the flat hedge defense gives up is because it's not aggressive on the ball handler so that they can kind of get into the paint, get, get inside the three point line. And because there's a third defender that had to get, that got involved in the play because he's got to take the roller. There's going to be a player in the opposite corner who can feast on wide open threes. And that's just something we saw all all year last year um and that's something that we saw a little bit against elon so like have a sneaking suspicion this is this will be one of many conversations we have about pick and roll defense um on this podcast and uh just the the one last thing i'll say and i know i said this all kind of last year and i'm sure i'll say more this year is one of the things too is that the way that Florida is playing pick and roll defense is quite a difficult way of playing ball screen defense. It's not just that I think it's the, the effects of it are not good. It's, it's also just very difficult to play. So it's one of those things where I think that Florida would get better results by doing something that's actually simpler to play. So um, again, we'll probably have this conversation later, but uh, that was one thing, of course, defense as, as they went out in their first possession of the game offensively, and we saw them play this five out and I'm like, wow, this is different than what they played. This is very interesting um, to then kind of, then they go on defense. And I'm like, Oh, I, I hope they drop this pick and roll coverage, or I hope they do something different than, than the flat hedge or the low hedge. And, you know, it was what they did last year. So we will see how that develops. Yeah. Uh, so like, unless you play a system like pack line um, to me, you should also be versatile. Like I just talked about being a little more versatile in your offensive looks. So you're not necessarily an easy scout unless you can make it difficult on people to defend the pick and roll because there's a multiplicity of options or the ball screen offense because there's a multiplicity of options. But I'm a huge, and I mean, I've coached defense relatively like high level high school basketball. And I, I feel like I know something about like you should be more versatile than just to be flat or sometimes lower um, like the Gators were um, Tuesday night. Like I'd love to see, like Eric said, I'd love to see him drop at least a few, um, mostly because there are certain things you can do when you know like a low ball screen edge is coming or when you know a flat edge is coming. Like you can refuse to pick up your dribble, for example, like and wait for it to come. And then you either attack a slip um you know, by, by getting the ball to the slip man, or maybe you wait. And then when they approach, you can attack sort of the outside knee of the, the screener, right, Eric, and you get around them. Uh, and then if there's weak side help, or if somebody else comes, like Eric said, you're engaging a third defender and then boom, you've got your shooter on the wing or 
your shooter wherever you want your damn shooter really because there's three defenders uh closing in on the basket on the on the basketball in the paint um and i think so you know there's just it's gotten to the point where people have gotten pretty formulaic about how they attack hedges uh and there's a reason for that uh as as eric can appreciate as an analytics guy um the reason for that is that the math says it works and it's kind of interesting too like like florida or mike white i should say throughout his time at florida something he's always talked about about his defense is we're trying to run guys off the three-point line we do not want to have a high three-point rate against but this style of there there's no defense there's no pick and roll defense that leads to more three-point attempts than than the low hedge i promise you that and i can show you the numbers for that um i'd love to have a conversation with someone on florida staff about that but uh uh so even again for for example um against elon in the pick and roll possessions that that elon had um 40 of their shots out of the pick and roll um came from three so that and a 40 percent three-point rate is is not one that uh anyone would be particularly happy to give up. So again, it's just like for a Florida team that tries so hard in, in every other element of their defense to eliminate three point shots, uh, why they would go to the defense that in the pick and roll that, that leads to so many open threes. Uh, it's just, it just actually is just a little surprising to me. Like if it was a team that said, we're going to protect the paint at all costs, then I would understand this style of defense. Cause that's like, I guess the one thing that it takes away is it's quite hard to hit a roll man against the flat hedge. So it really takes away the roll man. So that's something. And it also doesn't really allow a ball handler to get all the way to the rim. So that's something it takes yeah. away, but um, it's at the expense of wide open threes. And uh, man, I personally think that you get yourself in a whole lot of trouble when you trade two point attempts and you turn them into open threes. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, like if you're, if you want to protect like that slip action, you can run against a hedge. If it's lower, that's harder. Um, so I guess there is that element of attacking the paint. Maybe they're worried about that because they're worried about getting bullied on the offensive glass. But another thing I'd say about that is that the math on offensive rebounds off three pointers is, you know, pretty unfavorable for that schematic strategy as well. So because you can't really control how the ball bounces off a three point attempt, um, no matter how, well, you box out, no matter how good your technique is. Uh, it's not, you know, it's it's a little less control to controllables for me than than at least for my taste. But uh, like Eric said, we'll we'll come back to this. This is definitely game one, so let's not spend twenty minutes <laughs> lamenting our our ball screen defense again. We have all season to continue to do that. The Gators are going to try to not lose their eighth straight game against the Florida State Seminoles. I don't know what it is, seven, eight, whatever it is. Um, I feel like Bob Euchre on the Brewers podcast when I'm talking about the losers. <laughs> oh, nobody's listening anyway. Uh, you know, uh, the Gators host the Seminoles Sunday, one o'clock in its Zach Tech Arena, pretty close to a sellout, I'm told. Uh, so gobble up the last few tickets if if you have them, um, if you have the chance to to be in town. Seminoles opened with a big win over Pennsylvania. Uh, they are the winningest team at home in college basketball over the last seven seasons. Um, they are sometimes vulnerable on the road because they're only the thirteenth winning only the thirteenth winningest program 
in the country over the last seven seasons. Uh, Leonard Hamilton has built a monster. They're a, a veteran team. They have 11 guys that are six foot seven or more. Uh, always fun to play Florida State, Eric. Yeah, it's become a, you know, a real tradition in this uh, podcast to just have great podcasts leading into the Florida State game. Uh, yeah, the la- so this is seven straight for, for Florida State. The last time that uh, uh, that Florida won was in 2013 um, because uh, it kind of started in 20, I, I think it was December 30th of 2014. So right before the, the year changed uh, was the first loss in, in Billy Donovan's last season. So um, to think about that, that Florida State has won every matchup since 2014. Uh, yeah, that just, you know, there's so many ways that you can frame it that just really stings. So uh, it's a tough one. And uh, I, I, again, for this is something we've talked about every year on the podcast. But if you're new here, which I know there'll be a couple new uh, new listeners today um, that I interacted with on, on Twitter. But uh, the one thing that we always say, we always come back to, so we don't need to get into it in huge detail, is this matchup has always been just one that does not favor the Gators because Florida was going into these games playing a style of offense that kind of required multiple advantages to be created off the dribble um, on each, on each offensive possession, Florida state just had so many good point of attack defenders, so many lengthy athletic dudes that I, it just always seemed like Florida who the, the biggest weakness to the Florida roster was length and athleticism. And Florida state was the longest, most athletic team in the country. So it was always, you know, like, like, believe me, like I have huge respect for, for Florida state. I think they are, uh, they've, they've had some just absolutely fantastic teams. I don't think people realize how dominant they've been in the ACC and how much better they've been than Duke and North Carolina and Virginia um, and Louisville over the past several years. Like, I have a ton of respect for the Florida state basketball program, and I don't want to take anything away from that, but it's, it is also just to point out that like, man, there could not be a worse matchup for the Gators stylistically. And it really sucks. And it really hurts when one of your rivals um, happens to be just like the worst possible matchup uh, you could ever draw up. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. It hasn't been uh great um, that said, you know, Florida State is older. Don't mistake they're they're not as old as Florida. Uh, don't mistake they're old with super experienced either. Um, they have a couple guys that have played a ton of basketball. Malik Osborne has played a ton. Anthony Polite has played a ton. Uh, Caleb Mills, the Houston transfer, has played a ton. Um, but beyond that, you know, a lot of guys that are still like either it's their first year in a big time role, like Wyatt Wilkie's, or, um, you know, newer. Uh, they did play ten guys in classic ham fashion. Ten players played ten minutes or more, uh, so they they roll them out. Um, we expect that they got what two or three seven. I think it's three seven footers, but might be two. I don't know. Um, I actually didn't pull that up, guys. I did all this Florida State research and didn't actually pull that up. I'm sure Eric will I, in a second. I believe they have four. Um, there is uh, oh, there you go, yeah, Even better. Yeah, well, but one didn't play on uh, uh, Tenor and Gum, who was actually played at Ryerson, which is a Canadian university in Toronto. Sweet. He, he transferred, so he he actually missed with a concussion, but he was uh, he was actually the player that a lot of people expected to start at the five for uh 
for Florida State. Um, and then I, they also have Naheem McLeod. And I remember that because he was like a two star or a three star yeah. that was initially supposed to go there. But I don't know. I don't know if it was academics or what it was, but he ended up going junior college a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then they had uh, John Butler, who's a freshman, because I remember looking through the recruiting rankings and seeing if I could the first seven footer I found if he was going to Florida State. And he was. And then I remember just seeing that there was one other um, they had one other seven footer. I don't remember his name. Um, I'm going to look it up now. But they have they, they have a lot of seven footers. But it is interesting that you note that. But because with at least with uh, in Gom out. Um, Oh, it's Quincy Ballard is their other seven footers. They got four seven footers. And then I think they have Sweet. two in and I think they have two in their 2022 recruiting class, by the way. So they're they're continuing to come. But one thing that's interesting Indeed. is actually, you know, against Penn, they did actually, you know, like quote unquote play smaller. Like, yes, they still had great length with like Polite at six six and Caleb Mills at six five and Raquan Evans at six four in the perimeter. But like it was like six foot nine Malik Osborne. Um, at, at center. And I'm realizing the ridiculousness of this conversation because if we were playing, you know, any other team and it was six, eight, six, nine, two twenty-five in the front court, you'd be like, yeah, that's a fine size front court, but against, against Florida state, they're a lot smaller, but it was, it was actually funny because a lot of, you know, a couple of Florida state basketball accounts, um, were tweeting at me. Um, actually like not, I, I made that sound like it was about to be like a confrontation. They're actually, but they're, they're quite delightful but they were talking about how how florida state plays is playing small this year and there's been a lot of talk about them playing small ball this year and their small ball is like six foot nine 225 pound malik osborne playing the five instead of playing the three and wyatt wilkes you know six foot eight 220 playing the four instead of playing the two like that's that's florida state small ball but i will say like there is a chance that florida doesn't see the like constant onslaught of seven foot three guys like i think you know naheem mcleod who's like the true like seven foot four like chris kamaji kind of like monster um you know i think he got out there for a bit against penn but there's hopefully going to be some lineups where it's not just like ridiculous ridiculous florida state height yeah and you know what like florida has like flan fleming now to like kind of counter like a guy like anthony polite who had kind of adopted that gator killer there's always a gator killer there uh you know well i should say that last year there were a couple because for the last couple of years it's been polite and then uh raekwon gray who's gone uh fortunately the ncaa has graduation rules he can no longer destroy the gator's soul um mj walker who shot 40 it felt like 80 percent from three but it was only 42.5 from three last year uh he's gone the little hammer screen that they run for their favorite shooter is not gone uh they've just murdered pennsylvania with that <laughs> the other night uh ran it multiple times to get uh polite open so hopefully flora is prepared for that little hammer screen play eric because um, they still like it a lot uh and they might not need it with the way florida defends ball screens but it up um but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just really good um, is the main thing. That said, um, I predicted over the summer that Florida would snap the streak this year, which was my first, I looked back, my first prediction of a Florida win over FSU in the history of Florida basketball hour. And I'm going to stick with that. I think it's a little bit better of a matchup, first of all, for Florida this year. Florida has some things that they can do to counter what FSU does well. Um and the Gators are older 
uh, than FSU, which is the first time that that's happened. And so it's game two, first road game um, for the Knowles. It's not like the Knowles roll out a starting five that is young, but like I said, Ham is going to be Ham, Eric. He's going to play a lot of dudes. Like He's not going to shorten his bench just because he's going on the road and he's worried about guys being jittery. And I think that actually helps Florida. Uh, I don't know if I can join you with the with the prediction that Florida is going to win. I just uh, like if and it sucks because you know if ever a time to to pick Florida to win, this would this would be it because I do think that Florida is a better team this year than last year, um, or maybe even the year before, with the benefit of hindsight. Um, and this is not the strongest Florida State team. I think this might be the weakest Florida State team of the last couple of years. Again, I still think they're they're really good. So if every year this would be it, but at the same time, I just still see the fact that I think that that Florida State is going to dominate in transition. I think that they're going to dominate on the glass. Uh, I see that Florida struggled to finish at the rim against Elon, and I just those are some of the you know some of these struggles to finish at the rim for Florida's incoming transfers. Those were not like those were not strengths that they had an outlier that they struggled to finish um, against Elon. It was, you know, Myron Jones has always been a very poor finisher at the rim. And that's why he likes to go to that pull-up and to that floater that we saw a bunch at, at Elon Brandon McKissick, who's just, you know, not long or explosive. It's like, yeah, those guys are, you know, usually not going to be great finishers at the rim. So, so I just kind of look and it's like, okay, how is Florida going to score if they're not going to put up a lot of points at the rim? It's like, are they going to shoot the lights out? That is absolutely a possibility, and that's something that we could totally see that Myron Jones is hot, Brandon McKissick is hot, Tyree Appleby is hot shooting off the dribble. Um, Anthony DeRuji goes, you know, two for four shooting wide open ones from the corner. Like, I, I think that'll be kind of the recipe for Florida to win. But again, if the, the recipe is Florida shoots the ball really well, uh, I just don't know if I can particularly bank on that. So I think it's going to be a really close game, but there's just, you know, when, when, a, team, when a team wins – seven times in a row it's just like there's got to be something pretty markably different for for me to i guess want to think something different is going to happen and i think florida is quite different but i think florida state is the same so i think i'll go still florida state winning and i man i hope that people just give me the gears when i'm hopefully wrong uh, on Sunday. well i mean i'm not and i don't think uh you deserve the gears i think it's it's a pretty logical <laughs> uh it's a pretty logical bet um but but that said you know, I mentioned how they had their normal 10 play 10 minutes, right? But a couple of those guys are freshmen. Now, they're Jalen Morley and Matthew Cleveland, so they're really good freshmen. Mm. Um, but they're still freshmen. Um, you know, another one is the Houston transfer, Caleb Mills, who, you know, uh, certainly – can get hot, but is like Myron Jones, a little bit streaky. It was certainly streaky at times last year for Houston before he stopped playing because his ankles just wouldn't hold up. Uh, and then, you know, they are playing their first road game. And, like, I get it. It's Florida State. They kind of are rinse and reload at this point under ham. But, like, gosh, you lose MJ Walker, the best three-point shooter in the ACC. They lose Balsa Kopervika, um, who just – you know, it's almost surprising that he didn't just father Florida for his two years on campus. Um, you know, Raekwon Gray, who did father Florida. And then Scotty Barnes, a lottery pick. Like, that's a lot to lose to go on the road and play a really good basketball team um, that, 
you know, Mike White talked Monday in the press conference about how, like, you know, not all his guys are here, but, but the guys that are, they all remember last year and they remember storming out to a big lead and the emotion of that game and just how it affected them. And, you know, a lot of Florida's players have been waiting for this, this day, I think. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just one of those kind of on any given day in college basketball uh, at some point, um, you know, Florida, if they played seven times, I don't know if, if Florida wins, but like another guy that they played over 10 minutes was like Cameron Fletcher. Right. And like, you know, like he's an adequate SEC player, uh, but, but like by no means a, a great SEC player under any circumstances and he transfers there. So I think it's just a little early for me to, to be as in love with this Florida state team as I'm sure I will be in March when I pick them to go to the sweet 16 again, because that's where they go. Um, but yeah, let's see, let's see. It, it will be interesting to see what, what the, uh, Leonard Hamilton ogre assembly does against the Gators <laughs> on, on, uh, on, on Sunday, like how many of their seven footers do they roll out to like deal with Colin Castleton or do they try some of this? Hey, let's play quote air quotes smaller against the Gators uh, Sunday. Cause if they do that, like, again, I'm kind of encouraged. Yeah, this is a here's one little kind of scouting thing about Florida State that they do on baseline out of bounds plays is they go to two three zone, which they don't do any time other than this. So oftentimes they'll get one of their behemoths in to guard the ball and then they play two three zone and they, it is like so difficult to just inbound the ball against Florida State. Like there's never been a team that I have been more impressed with with their baseline out of bounds defense because for most teams that's just not something that would stick out. Um, but Florida State makes it stick out because they 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 just like guard every baseline out of bounds. Like their life depends on the ball not being able to even be inbounded. So it's truly going to be frustrating on Sunday, but it is actually truly like a marvel to watch and something that I enjoyed watching from a distance, but would prefer the Gators not have to encounter. But there's definitely going to be some of those possessions that the Gators will like, we'll see those seven footers. And I would love for them to be very aware of that and have a play design where it's like, Hey, let's see if this seven foot four or can go guard on the perimeter. If he gets a switch on to Tyree Appleby or whatever, like, like, again, if, if Florida wants to like get those little advantages, that's an opportunity is like, you can kind of pinpoint somebody's possession. These seven footers will be out there. Uh, let's see if Florida can take advantage. And then let's see if Malik Osborne is six foot nine, just a little bit less long than Con Castleton. Let's see if Castleton can, they can scheme up some of these deep post catches for him where he can turn and use that hook. Like Florida needs every advantage. And uh, there's just kind of some of those things that are, that I kind of hope come into play. Yeah. And one thing I didn't mention, because I don't want people to where you're like, I hope people give me the gears and I feel like maybe I'm not, I'm not giving much more than like, well, I hope uh, <laughs> to, to borrow from Shawshank redemption. Like I also think Florida is equipped a little bit better to play Florida state. I mean, the Seminoles switch everything. They don't care about mismatches at all. Um, and in the past, outside of Keontae Johnson, like Florida just didn't have someone that could take advantage of those mismatches, right? Like there just wasn't that. And that's why Appleby concerned me a little against Elon because I was like, no, just make simple plays. Like I was having, you know, I definitely was having some visions of Malik Osborne catching one of those, like try to make the spectacular plays and like FSU having a dunk like four seconds later, um, you know, type instances. But I think, 
one thing the Gators really haven't been the last few years is balanced. And the teams that succeed against Florida State are balanced offensively. They have a lot of different ways that they can score on you. And they have multiple ball handlers. Uh, that is a real common thread against with teams that have been successful against FSU. North Carolina has the best winning percentage against them. Um, and one of the reasons why was that Roy Williams always had secondary, secondary ball handlers, Eric. And that way uh, – um, now, yes, UNC, a little more athletic and a little different in the way that they attack the offensive glass, and I'm sure that helps too. I'm not looking at any of these box scores. But when you get those favorable switches, you better be able to attack and exploit some of them. And two ways you do that. One, you need to be able to handle the ball a little better with multiple guys, and Florida can do that a little bit this year. And then, you know, there have to be different guys that you have to account for. You can't have rotations on the floor where you say, if I stop Trey Mann and Colin Castleton, I win. And I think Florida has a little bit more of that this year. Um, so I want to see a lot of driving and a lot of kicking, man. I don't want to see any of this. Oh, we missed a few duck downs. Like, no, we're not going to miss duck downs. We're going to drive. We're going to kick. And if our jump shots don't go in, so be it. But I think Florida will have some looks based on how FSU switches. Yeah, we'll see. I just the, the again the thing with the way that they kind of play is like they're they're as much as they're so long and athletic, like that that kind of allows them not to overhelp. So you'll actually see, which you'd see this in the NBA a lot, which is something that you'll soon see in college basketball is some of these coaches pick it up but like on some of these drives like they kind of do the inverse of instead of taking a step closer to the ball to help they all just fan out and get back to shooters and that is again what really kind of scares me about Appleby is like I do think Appleby when he gets a mismatch and he drives like I think he might have to drive to score and I know that that's plays yeah. a little bit into what Florida State wants because it'll be Tari Appleby probably trying to finish against a six foot four guy or like, it'll be, it'll be a Raekwon Evans or a Caleb Mills. But at the same time, like they are also hoping that Tyree Appleby tra- like leaves his feet and tries to make that hook pass. Like, so that, that'll be a problem. But again, with, with Tyree Appleby, I almost wonder if like, he just needs to look almost like we were kind of saying with Trey Mann last year, like to just shoot some of those shots off the dribble. Like we, we saw Trey Mann last year be really efficient because he was so good hitting shots off the dribble. That's something that Tyree Appleby has been really good at throughout his career as well. And he hit a couple against Elon that were from deep. Yeah. And, and pure. So it's like, there might be some times where if they get that, that, that first step, if they, if it can be something like a high ball screen or they set those pinch posts a little bit higher with con castles and getting the ball so that if Florida state chases, it's not like you're instantly into the mid range area, like set it high enough that you go over the top and you're still beyond the three point line. And and then maybe it's something where those guys can kind of use their ability to shoot off the bounce. But I, I, I mean, this is also one of those games where it's like, there might be some threes that are not great shots, but you would prefer a bad three over a turnover. Like even if it's a 20% three point shot that you, that might go in or you might have a chance at the offensive rebound that just beats trying to force a pass that could end up being a dunk on the other end because it's a turnover. So yeah, all this stuff is like still kind of scares me about Florida state. As you can probably tell from the the tremors in my voice and what I'm saying, but uh Ultimately, if there's if there's is one thing that I think we we kind of we kind of both feel is we do think that Florida is a better a better shooting team. So if Florida can kind of keep possessions close, like not have Florida State allowed to take twelve more shots because they have so many more offensive rebounds and steals, and Florida is able to hit thirty eight percent of their threes, and Florida State hits thirty two percent of their threes, which is 
something Florida State is prone to doing, uh, that could very well be the difference in something that wins Florida the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I'm when I think of Appleby driving to score, I have like these Chioza and Zach Tuckerina flashbacks to to that night when I thought the whole town might come pitchforks for my coin. So, um, you know, and it's like, well, dude, this is the worst possible matchup ever. And when Jalen Hudson goes over seven from three point range, like, nothing about tonight was going to go well. Um, so, you know, and that was the thing, like in the first half of that game, everything was drive and kick and Kulachov and, and Hudson like made nothing. So the second half, it started being like Chris Chioza drive to score. And by then, Florida was so far behind that it didn't really matter. Uh, um, but look, I mean, Penn made nine threes, right? That's pretty good. Um, they shot 27, so they made 33%. That's pretty good uh, against FSU. That's not terrible. Uh, it's not bad. Let's put it that way. Um, but they also turned it over 26 times. <laughs> so, like, you know. Uh, Florida nine threes, 15 turnovers might be talking about a little bit of different outcome. Um, we'll see. So, you know, I think, I think it's going to be need to be closer to like 10 threes, 12 turnovers for Florida to win. Um, something like that. Uh, that would be my, my number, Eric, about 12 turnovers, anything beyond that. And we're, we're in the red danger area. (laughs) <laughs> that's manageable. And I think the turnovers also matter too. Like, I think you could even like, they could, they could die with nine turnovers. Yeah, if what, what seven of them are. Yeah. If seven of them are live ball turnovers and they go the other way and they might be able to get away with 13 or 14, if it's guys traveling or throwing the ball out of bounds because they get trapped. And that's again, something that I would encourage um, for Florida is like, yeah, there's going to be times where the, like someone like Tyre Apley is going to get himself in trouble. And honestly, falling out of bounds and stepping out of bounds might be better than trying to throw the ball, like trying to make a pass that isn't there because against Florida state, that could be a dunk. And at least you just go out of bounds, you set your defense and uh, you go from there. And and that's again, the thing about Florida state is they haven't ever really been a great like offensive team in the half court. They've always been some like team that's so good in transition that kind of makes them good offensively. Like again, we've mentioned on the podcast so many times that they're actually a lot better offensively than, than people think from the efficiency numbers. And a lot of that is because they're just so good in transition. So Florida's going to have to try to make it a half court game. And then again, if it's kind of like we were talking about before, if it's a half court game, possessions are somewhat similar. Florida shoots the three better. That's the recipe to win. Yeah. And uh, by the way, if you're on the, if you're on the Twitter on a Sunday afternoon, regardless of how the game's going, if people are complaining about the pace of the game, that's mm-hmm. a good sign that they're not really paying much attention to what Florida State does uh, really well. So there, there's your like, you can just tweet a bunch of red flag emojis at them and tell them that <laughs> told you that that was, <laughs> that was fair. Um, so, yeah, so Eric sounds like he thinks uh, it's going the other direction. Look, man, I've never picked – Eric picked him once because I've listened to all the shows. So Eric, Eric fell into this trap that Kerry Blackshear year. Um, so I guess it's my turn to fall into the trap. Seminoles coming to town. I think the Gators are going to get them. Uh, it sounds like Eric does not, but that's fine. Uh, that's why we do these shows. So, uh, um, any any closing thoughts here, Eric? I know you're going to 
tell everybody what to do. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, that's all. And uh, uh, especially in a matchup with Florida State, uh, go Gators and keep attacking those closeouts. <laughs>